Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What? When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon, Welcome Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. This podcast is from America. The Podcast. It is Monday, January 8th. 2024 people i hope everybody's doing well. i hope everybody is having a great day and i hope everybody is ready for how about this a monday national championship game edition of the air tour sports podcast that is right we got a lot to talk about today we're gonna open listen by the way friday i made my official national championship pick if you missed it go back and check it out today though is all of the ancillary stories around this game one They're starting to become a narrative. Michigan, Washington. If Michigan wins, should there be an asterisk next to this championship based on the science stealing scandal? You know, Torres has some thoughts on that. We'll also discuss Jim Harbaugh's future. I've got a lot of questions. A lot of people asking, do you think he stays? Do you think he goes? What does it mean? What if they win? What if they lose? What job makes sense? What job doesn't? We'll discuss all that. And then from there, we'll take a quick break and we will talk a little college hoops because it was a wild weekend. Conference play is underway. Kentucky beats Florida. Carolina wins on the road. The debacle at Allen Fieldhouse. Amazing how the whistles always go Kansas's way at Allen Fieldhouse. We'll discuss that. Also, Big East, St. John's rolls, UConn, big road win. And oh, by the way, we do have to discuss Arkansas. Record-setting loss to Auburn. Credit to Auburn, but Arkansas has not been the same team since Torres left Fayetteville. So we got a lot to dive into. One quick scheduling note, by the way, uh, if you are subscribed on YouTube, we will do a post-game national championship reaction on Monday night. Make sure you're subscribed, make sure notifications are on, etc. And obviously you will have a new show in your feed for Tuesday morning, recapping what should be a very fun national championship. So with that said, There is no more time to waste. You know what's coming. I know what's coming. You know what today is about. And with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, sorry, you can tell I'm fired up. Drag a lot of coffee here on a Sunday night, but it's time to talk natty, baby. And if you missed Friday's show, that was where I made my official national championship pick. I ain't backing down now. I ain't doing, I'm not changing my pick. I did it on Friday. I won't tell you who I picked because, you know, if you miss Friday's show, you got to go back and download it. But I'll give you a little hint. 
I picked Michigan in the preseason to win the Natty. I picked Michigan to beat Alabama by a touchdown, which they did in the Rose Bowl. Could probably guess where I'm leaning in this game, but there's a lot of detail, a lot of things to consider, and uh, we discuss all of it on Friday's show. Today, though, uh, it does feel like there's a couple ancillary stories that are kind of surrounding this game. One is Jim Harbaugh's future, which we'll get into in a minute. But the other one is an interesting kind of narrative that has emerged in Houston as the two teams have gotten there and as certainly as the media has gotten there as well. And that narrative, bluntly, is should there be an asterisk if Michigan wins the national championship? In other words, we know about the sign-stealing scandal. We know what Michigan is accused of. We know what Connor Stallions is accused of. We know what we think we know about Jim Harbaugh, his role. Did he know? Did he not know? And so the question is, should there be an asterisk? And not only should there be an asterisk, but it's not just a question at this point. It is a conversation point. And I thought it was really moved forward on Saturday. Ross Dellinger from Yahoo does a great job. Uh, probably the breakout star, by the way, of college football in 2024, because I feel like I reference one of his articles every single time I do this show. But he put out a very interesting article uh, on on this whole situation. It was titled, How Would College Football? How would college football? Let me find it real quick. Be patient. How would college football react to Michigan as champ after sign stealing scandal? It's not good for the game. And so he goes around and he talks to people and he asks people, and there were some interesting responses on both sides of the spectrum about if Michigan were to uh, to win this game and really more importantly, kind of what it says about the NCA process of due diligence and of, uh, you know, investigation, whatever. And so here are some quotes, both positive and negative, both for Michigan and against Michigan from the article. Um, here is a quote from a Power 5 athletic director per Yahoo. That's a good football team. They are a very good team. But this all this shows my concern with the NCAA process. This is our system, and it's unfortunate. The system allows it, which is why we've got so much to change. He continued, it's not, or excuse me, there's a second AD that, that is quoted. It's ridiculous that they are parading there around. It's not good for the game. And then an assistant coach, he just tells it exactly like it is. He says, quote, there ought to be a damn asterisk next to it. It's not fair. It ain't right. Obviously, that assistant we don't know by name, but that's you know that sounds like a good old football guy. You know, been been around the game for fifty years, do things the right way. Blah blah blah. This and that. And so you have a lot of quotes basically saying that there should be an asterisk. The article continues though. Ross Dellinger says not everyone's in that camp. If they deserve to win, if they do win, it does not diminish anything, says an administrator from the SEC. A second administrator says, I don't have a problem with them being there. There are much more egregious things going right, going on right now in college football. So as you can see, everybody's pretty divided. But let me, I don't toe the line. I don't dance on both sides of the line. No, 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 no. I tell you exactly how I feel in the moment, all of that. And I'm here to tell you right now. Do I believe that Michigan should have an asterisk next to their title if they win it? I do not. And I actually think it's even a ridiculous conversation to even have at this point after everything that has happened over the last couple months. And so let's dive in. Most of this conversation centers around the Connor Stallion sign-stealing investigation. And the real reason, there's really two reasons that I believe that, that there should be no asterisk. One is sort of debatable. The other one is not debatable. 
The first thing is, and this is the debatable part. I think you could argue this whole thing has been overblown from the beginning. And we've talked about it. We've spent a ton of time on it. I've shared my opinion. When it first broke, I thought it was a huge deal. Then you kind of peel back the layers. Then you see how it feels like, you know, we're basically having, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, meetings and Zooms where all 13 Big Ten coaches, all 13 Big Ten ADs are on one call without Michigan. They're influencing everything. And I thought it largely got overblown. And I thought it really got overblown, especially in that week that Michigan was on the bye. We find out about it right before the Michigan State game. Uh, you know, they destroy Michigan State. Surprise, surprise. And then from there, uh, you they go into a bye, and it's just one story after another, after another, after another. But more importantly, and it was funny because actually a player referenced this in, in the article by Ross Dellinger, is that you go on social media and you see all these videos. Oh my God, Michigan, there's Connor Stallions. He's on the sideline and look at that. They're in the perfect defense and no one does it all mean. And it's like, well, it was third and 11. I don't think you needed to be a high-tech mastermind to know that Ohio State was going to pass the ball. And so, like I said at the time, and this is why I think Ryan Day, by the way, is taking so much heat, is it felt like there was about a three, four-week period where everyone just assumed that every piece of success that Michigan ha had over the last couple years was solely because of Connor Stallions. Then they beat Penn State. Then they beat Ohio State. And Ohio State fans are like, and by the way, Ohio State fans have told me this. I'm not speaking out of school. I'm not trying to talk crap about Ohio State. I think that in Ohio State fans' heads, they built up the only way Michigan could beat us was cheating. And then a funny thing happened. There was no Jim Harbaugh. There was no Connor Stallions. And Michigan won anyway. And more important. That is why there is no asterisk in my opinion. It is because even if you want to argue that Connor Stallions significantly helped this team, first of all, they weren't losing any of the six games this year. They just were not. I'm sorry. They weren't losing to Minnesota. They weren't losing to Nebraska. They beat them because they were a better team. They weren't losing to Bowling Green or Rutgers. But then what was interesting what was is what was happened after that, is what happened after that, I should say. It's the idea that, again, you have all this information. We don't really know what's truth, what's not. I truly believe in my heart of hearts, it seems pretty obvious that the system did not want Michigan to be in this position. Putting this aside, you know, Jim Harbaugh gets the three-game suspension to start the year, but then beyond that, they just so happen to suspend Jim Harbaugh before the three biggest games of the season. And I really think that that, first of all, I think the, the commissioner, Tony Petiti, is a little needle-spine loser. I think he bowed to public pressure. That was unprecedented. I didn't think it should happen at the time. But what I think ended up happening is it all worked out in Michigan's favor. Because you go to Penn State. Remember, Jim Harbaugh got suspended after the team landed in state college. Like, like you talk about a system. You talk about a situation. It is so obvious to me that the Big Ten purposely did that waited until Michigan was in the air, waited until Jim Harbaugh got on the plane. Then they land and they say, yeah, buddy, you can't coach three-game suspension. They try to appeal it. They try to go to the courts. An hour before kickoff, they don't know who is coaching Michigan on the road at Penn State, and they still win. And then a week later, they play Maryland, and they win again. And then they go to Ohio State, and they win that game, or they, they play Ohio State in Michigan. I apologize but they win that game as well. And so even if you want to argue that Stallions had some impact, 
in the three biggest regular season games of the year. Connor Stallions is suspended watching at home on the couch like you and I are. Then Jim Harbaugh is on the couch watching at home like you and I are. Well, he's watching in a hotel in State College, but you get the point. Jim Harbaugh wasn't in the building. They still won those games. Then after all of that, they go to the Big Ten Championship game, beat Iowa, and they beat Alabama in the Rose Bowl. There's no, there's no asterisks. There's no anything. They were the better team. They deserve to win. And that is why I think this is not even a conversation. I mean, it's a conversation because I'm talking about it, but I don't think it's a real conversation. Because even if you want to argue that they were helped, guess what? The four biggest games of the year, Ohio State at Penn State, Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game, Alabama, there was no Connor Stallions. In two of them, there was no Jim Harbaugh. And so in the process of, of the Big Ten purposely trying to hold back Michigan, because again, they acted unprecedented manner. Guess what happened? All it did was justified and left no doubt that they were the best team in the Big Ten. Now, are they the best team in the college football? We're going to find that out Monday night. Washington's players said, look, we're, we're beyond that. We're over it. it. You know, that's not even something that's on our radar right now. Or we're not worried about that. We're worried about winning the game. So Washington's moved on. Nick Saban had nothing but nice things to say about uh, Michigan and how prepared they were and they deserve to win and whatever. I mean, what else do you want from this team? And so the idea that there's somehow an asterisk, like, what are we even talking about? You go to Penn State without Connor Stallions and Jim Harbaugh isn't on the sidelines. You beat Ohio State. Like, think about the challenge. Like, like, and this is, we talked about this on Friday. Like, everyone convinced themselves that Michigan was struggling down the street. They weren't struggling. They didn't have their head freaking coach on the sidelines. How do you think Georgia would look without Kirby Smart? How do you think Washington would look without Kalen DeBoer? How do you think Oregon would look, you know, without Dan Lanning, Nick Saban? On, not on, like, this is so, I don't know, it just, it boggles my mind. And I think, again, ultimately, what ended up happening is it all worked out best for Michigan. Because you tried to cut their legs out. You tried to undermine them. You tried to put them in positions where they were not going to win so that we didn't have to get to this point. Well, now we're here. They earned their spot. They deserve to be here. One thing I will say, and I do agree with the sentiment of the article, I don't think the frustration is even necessarily with Michigan, but the way the NCAA process works. Remember, Jim Harbaugh suspended those three games to end the season by the Big Ten. NCAA couldn't do anything per their own bylaws. So we'll see if his time goes on as the NCAA evolves, if it survives at all, um, what will happen. And obviously, look, Jim Harbaugh, if he stays, which we're going to talk about in a minute, there will be probably further punishment. I don't think there should be because he already served a three-game suspension. What are we doing here? Like, that's the other thing. When we start talking about Jim Harbaugh, what's next? Oh, there's a lengthy suspension. He already got a three-game suspension this year for this situation. How many games are we going to give him? He didn't know. He wasn't involved. Whatever. But is there an asterisk? Absolutely not. Michigan, go win that natty, prove them wrong. And if Washington wins, then Washington wins. But there's no asterisk on the Big Ten title. There's no asterisk on the Rose Bowl win. And there will be no asterisk if they win it all on Monday. Really quickly, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least reference kind of the big elephant in the room, which is like, is this is this the last dance for Jim Harbaugh? Is he going to the NFL? What is the future? And it is funny because Jim Harbaugh was asked about this at media day on Sunday. And he basically said, what is the future? I just hope there's a future. I hope there's a tomorrow and a tomorrow after that and a tomorrow after that. But he was very coy. And to me, 
What I would say about Jim Harbaugh's future, because I've had a lot of people ask about it, it feels to me, I don't think anybody really knows. I don't think anybody really knows, including Jim Harbaugh. I think he kind of knows what options are out there. And I also don't think that, like, like, what I guess I would say, there's no doubt in my mind that Jim Harbaugh is at least going to look at his options in the NFL. And it's for two reasons. One, he's done it the last two years. But two, also worth noting, he's had that contract on his desk from Michigan for weeks now. First reports came out around the Big Ten Championship game. He has not signed it. He's going to look at his options, et cetera, et cetera. So the question becomes, does he stay, does he go? And I think it's an interesting conversation that, again, there's no easy answer. Now, what's a little tough, because I'm doing this on Sunday evening-ish, about 5, 6 o'clock Eastern time, it's just hard to say because I don't know what jobs are open. We know that Carolina is open. We know that the Chargers are open. We suspect that Washington, the Commanders, are going to open. New England Patriots are probably going to open. Um, the Raiders technically, I guess, has to open because Antonio Pierce is an interim candidate, so they have to interview other people for the job. I don't really fully understand how the Rooney rule works, but that's what Adam Schefter says, is that even if they want to hire Antonio Pierce, who's obviously a minority candidate, they have to interview other minority candidates. Don't ask me. I don't get it, but whatever. Um, looks like Chicago will probably stay put. We'll see about other jobs. But the question becomes, does he stay, does he go? A couple things. One, um, listen, the Chargers thing I've said on this show 30 times, so I'll be quick. It's the best job. With the best quarterback, he played for the Chargers when they were in San Diego. I still will believe that they are going to pay him market, you know, market share or market, you know, demand when I see it. And what do I mean by that? Well, he's got a contract on his desk for Michigan for $12 million a year, make him the highest paid coach in college football. And I bring it up because the Chargers have never paid for, for head coaching candidates. They just, they've, they've never paid big money for coaches. Brandon Staley, who they fired, was making $4 million a year. So even if they doubled the coaching salary of the next guy, that's still a 33% pay cut for Jim Harbaugh. He ain't taking a 33% pay cut to go to Los Angeles. Now, is there a scenario where he kind of has control of player personnel and you kind of pay him as a GM and a head coach? Then maybe you get there. I don't know. But you're going to have to pay him like $15 million. He ain't leaving for the exact same amount of money or less money than Michigan is offering. Now, Washington, could they be in the mix? I think so. I don't really see New England. I'd be interested if the Cowboys completely fall apart in the playoffs. What ends up happening there? Could Mike McCarthy be gone? I think he should have been gone, but I don't know if he would be. Um, so it'd be interesting to see. But a couple things. I don't think as many jobs as we thought were going to open will open, so that's part of it. And then beyond that, um, are the Chargers willing to pay? Are the Raiders going to open? Are, you know, is the Falcons going to open? You know, jobs like that. And then what interests him? What I would say in general, a couple other things beyond just what jobs open is the one thing I, I will mention, and I've said this before, it doesn't feel like he needs that perfect job, right? We talked about this a few weeks ago with Joshua Perry from NBC Sports. This was a guy that spoke to the Carolina Panthers when they did not have the number one pick, and it just looked like a miserable job last year. He took, he spoke to the Denver Broncos when the Denver Broncos were deemed a bad job before they paid Sean Payton a boatload of money. So that's the interesting part is, is what jobs open, and, and, and 
is he maybe not a candidate in a place like Los Angeles with the Chargers? And is he a candidate in other places? Now, again, by the way, maybe the Chargers come up with $15 million a year and it's a done deal by Wednesday morning. But I'm just going based on what I know now. A couple other factors that I think should he should at least consider is, I keep saying this, um, I do wonder, this is something like, I don't think that a coach necessarily thinks about, but I think he does sort of think about it too. For the, in favor of going to the pros, you know, this is probably his best shot at Michigan. Like, like, like if he doesn't do it on Monday night, I don't think it undermines the season. It was a great season. You played for a national championship. But if he doesn't do it at Michigan this year, it's hard to imagine there's going to be a better scenario. First off, he's got like 44 seniors this year, which is a crazy number. He's taken advantage of that COVID extra year of eligibility. Guy like Blake Quorum scored the national the 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 game the game winning touchdown in the in the Rose Bowl. He's a fifth year guy. He's a COVID guy. He would not be on this roster without the COVID waiver. So they've got a much older team in an era where Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State type programs are losing tons of players early. Michigan has been able to get old and stay old, if you will, a term from college basketball. The other thought with this is you think about the pathway for Michigan. This year, you win what was frankly a watered-down Big Ten. Penn State was not very good. Ohio State, listen, I've criticized Ryan Day. That's as bad as they'll be at quarterback. I don't think Will Howard is a significant upgrade at quarterback, but I think he's probably a little bit better uh, than Kyle McCord. So, Ohio State's probably going to be up, and then you got all the Pac-12 teams coming in. I think Oregon, coming into next year, might be the best team in the Big Ten, depending on what Jim Harbaugh does at Michigan. They should be favored over Ohio State, I can tell you that much. And so is Oregon now a factor? Is Washington now a factor? USC, I don't think is going to be as bad as they were last year. And so that becomes an interesting thing too. The schedule, by the way, next year gets way tougher. This year, they didn't play a meaningful game until November. How about next year? They play Texas out of conference, one. USC at home to open the Big Ten. And then they play at Washington before their bye in early October. So by early October, they will have played Texas at home, USC at home at Washington. And they still get Oregon at home late in the year and then Ohio State on the road. So the schedule gets tougher. The roster is never going to be deeper. And I'll say this, the playoff, I think, for Michigan is a little bit of a disadvantage. Now, for those really good SEC teams, a Georgia, like Georgia gets in this year, no matter if they're a six seed, a five seed, a seven seed, whatever, they're probably the favorites to win it all. But from the Michigan perspective, are they really built to beat Alabama and then beat Washington this week and then have to play Georgia again a week from now? or in some years an LSU, or in some years a Texas or whoever? Probably not. So these are all factors. I think it's going to be interesting to follow, and we'll see what happens. I I, I don't know how quickly this could move. Again, the Chargers, if they're serious about it, they better be uh, you know checking couch cushions for pennies and dollar bills and nickels and dimes because you ain't going to nickel and dime Jim Harbaugh. So fascinating situation to consider, and it's obviously a huge question. Is this Jim Harbaugh's final game? All right, so what I want to do, take a quick break. Come back when we come back. Do want to talk some college hoops, including Kentucky, a big win at Florida. And oh, by the way, a busy rest of the day in college hoops, North Carolina with the win, debacle at Kansas, on and on. Quick break, be right. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. 
Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With that said, let's dive into what was a really fun, really entertaining, and I think a very important win for the University of Kentucky as they go to the O-Dome, as I just said, and beat the Florida Gators 87-85 victory for the Wildcats. And what stands out to me is a couple of things. You know, first of all, just to kind of like start this at the top, what maybe is most impressive is this was one of these games that kind of trending coming in and certainly early, um, it felt like the kind of game that sometimes you just take the L in, right? Uh, Florida was a slight favorite in the DraftKings Sportsbook. It felt like, okay, the, the betters and the professionals, they've liked Kentucky, but they're going on the road. First real big road test. I think I said on Friday's Aaron Torres pod, it was their first true road game. Obviously, they played at Louisville. I think it was mostly blue in the arena that night, but they're an underdog. They fall down early. You know, it's just kind of a, a slow start. Florida banked in two big threes in the first half. They're down eight, and you sit there and say, maybe this is just where all of these freshmen learn how difficult and how challenging college basketball is, right? You're great. You're playing well. You beat Carolina a few weeks ago. You beat your biggest rival. You get a tune-up game before SEC play. Now you got to go on the road. Now you're playing an NCAA tournament caliber team in the Florida Gators, and maybe this is just the day where you take the L, you regroup, you come back, you get better and you get ready for really the heart of league play, understanding that, hey, sometimes you go on the road and it's just not your day. Instead, this mentally, mentally, mentally tough Kentucky team does the exact opposite. Down by eight, as I said at the half, they immediately go on a seven to two run uh, in to start the second half. And you could tell right away, oh, baby, this game is on and they are not backing down. I think the biggest thing for me as we talk about the victory couple things stand out. One, the contributions from pretty much across the board, right? I mean, this is a program that over the last couple of years, I get it. It's been very Oscar Shibway dependent. We've talked about it a ton on the show. You don't need me to, to kind of go through all that stuff. Why I bring it up though, look at the win on Saturday and tell me a guy who played, who didn't contribute to the win in a major way. I think you can argue that even though statistically it wasn't his best game, I thought DJ Wagner brought it, man. And we talked about it on Friday's show. I think a lot of people, or I think it was Thursday's mailbag show, but I think a lot of people have seen so much of DJ Wagner that we're now at the pick apart his game phase of his career. He's been in the spotlight since he was in eighth, ninth grade. His father's a former lottery pick. Oh my goodness. He's the number one player in America and we get really high on him. And then we got to, it's like, no. The kid is still really good. He made some really, really, really difficult shots in this game. And really about the mid to the, probably about the, what, 12, 13 minute mark of the second half, all the way down to the final few minutes, 
He's making tough plays. He's making strong plays. He's finishing at the basket. He's doing exactly what you hope from him. Trey Mitchell, unbelievable game. Florida really probably along with Carolina and Kansas, the biggest team that Kentucky has faced so far. And in this game, Trey Mitchell, who obviously cramped up late, obviously had some some health issues late in the game. I thought he was phenomenal, just holding his own, doing what was needed to be done in this game as Trey Mitchell obviously was phenomenal, finishing the game with essentially a double-double. Final stat line on him, I want to make sure I have this right, 12 and 10, so he did have an exact double-double in this game. Again, I thought it was a big effort from him because you really needed him in this game. Reed Shepard did what Reed Shepard does. Uh, He finished the game with a bunch of big plays. Now, he ironically had sort of a dumb foul at the end of the game that wasn't really a foul, but whatever. Hits a bunch of free throws late when you absolutely need him. Reed Shepard is awesome as always. And I thought that Aaron Bradshaw three, how about that? A seven foot one kid stepping out, hitting the three in the moment when you need him. I'm like, oh my goodness, this team is unafraid. And what I will say is a couple things about this victory from the Kentucky perspective. Besides the fact that everybody contributed, oh, by the way, I didn't even mention that Antonio Reeves uh, had a, a you know, leading the leading score in this game, finished with 18 points. The other couple things that stand out are, are a few things. One, I think you could argue that Kentucky going on the road, getting a win against an NCAA tournament caliber team in uh, in Florida, they didn't even play their best game. First of all, down a guy, a Thiero, who I think was actually an important piece that they probably could have used today. He's not available. Rob Dillingham struggled the entire game. Can't really get in a flow. We're still waiting for Justin Edwards to step up. And then a lot of really just uncharacteristic mistakes from Kentucky. A lot of turnovers early in the game. A lot of dumb fouls late. Although, as I said, that Reed Shepard play at the end, that was not a foul. It was a clean block. But it doesn't matter because this team, and this is the thing more than anything that stands out to me about this Kentucky squad. They are so mentally tough. This group, I I just feel like, is so different than these last couple Kentucky teams that we've seen. I go back to the SEC opener last year. If you remember, I believe it was either their opener or it was certainly their first true road game in the SEC, but I believe it was the opener. They play at Missouri. And do you remember the game? They get punked on the road by Missouri. Okay, Missouri's a good team, whatever. But there was a play in that game. And I hate to pick out a kid specifically who's now in the NBA, but there's a loose ball and Jacob Toppin goes to grab it. And some dude from Missouri, Gilliman was his name, just grabs it and rips it out of his arms and kind of stares down uh, Jacob Toppin, even though the kid was probably 6'1", 6'2". He wasn't afraid. And so what stood out to me about this game, what has stood out to me about this Kentucky team all year is the fearlessness with which they play. The fearlessness with which they play. The fact that going on the road, down a couple guys, not playing well, they're not afraid. And that's the crazy part because you go back to previous years for Kentucky. You know, there were games where they would fall down and you just felt like they were going to lose. I mean, you go back to last year, you lose at Georgia, at Missouri, who I understand was a tournament team. There's a couple other weird losses mixed in there. I can't remember all of them. Now, they did win at Arkansas and at, uh, at Tennessee, so that's worth mentioning. But at the same time, it was just one of those things where it felt like the the confidence was so up and down. And if you're playing well, you're playing well. And if you're playing bad, everybody's feeling it. That's not this team. 
This team thrives, it feels like, in those big moments when people doubt them, when they fall down on the road, whatever, and they get the win. So just an incredible, incredible win for Kentucky. And I'll tell you, you you look across, listen, I don't want to do the whole declarative, you know, what does it all mean in the bigger picture? We got a long way till March. It is January 6th as I record here. But like, look at look across college basketball. We watch all these teams. I think there's some really good teams out there. Arizona's really good. UConn's really good. Purdue's really good. But look at this. This Kentucky team just went on the road to a Florida team, which is going to make the NCAA tournament, which basically had not lost a game at full strength. And they just outwilled and outwanted it late in the game. And so you start talking about where does this Kentucky team fit in in the bigger picture of college basketball? Oh, I think they fit in good. Put them on a neutral against, you know, a Marquette team that just lost again on Saturday. Against the Duke, against the whoever. There aren't many teams that are bad matchups for them. So I know this is the kind of season that Kentucky fans have been waiting for. I think it's here. Listen, I'm not saying you're going undefeated from here on out. The SEC is tough. There's a lot of tough road venues, you know, um, Whatever, Tennessee's playing well. They're playing Ole Miss later. Like, there's so many good teams in this league. You're going to have bumps. You're going to have peaks. You're going to have valleys. But this Kentucky team, it is so different than the last couple of years, and it's been really fun for them to watch. By the way, it reminds me of what I told you uh, a few weeks ago after they beat Carolina. Everybody else in the college basketball media will tell you, oh, you can't win with freshmen in 2024. And what did I tell you in the preseason? I said, Alabama was the number one team in college basketball all year last year. Three of their top six scorers are freshmen. Duke won the ACC, four or five freshmen in their lineups. Duke makes a final four a few years ago with Paolo Banquero. If your freshmen are good enough, that's all that matters. And Kentucky's are. What a great road win against Florida. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. Do want to go ahead and wrap with the rest of the weekend that was in college hoops. 
Obviously, we just talked a little bit about Kentucky. They took care of business at Florida. Let's get to about four or five other results from throughout the weekend. Um, you know, we'll just whip around. There were a couple noteworthy games on Friday. We'll get to those. But we'll start with Saturday. We'll start with some of the big games there. And I, I, I do think it's kind of a cool place, interesting place to start. And it's interesting to me because I like this team coming in. But how about the top 15 matchup in the ACC? Clemson hosting North Carolina at Clemson. And what was interesting about the game, listen, Clemson is one of these like internet teams. I call them internet teams where I think college basketball, the season is so long. There's so many games. It starts in November. It doesn't really, uh, you know, basically every night straight through March. And I bring it up because there are teams every year that, that I think the internet gets excited about because you want something different besides Kentucky and Purdue and UConn and whoever, Arizona. And I kept saying, like, is Clemson that good? I really don't know. I really don't think so. Well, North Carolina goes there, smacks them around, final score 65 to 55. Listen, I think Clemson's fine. They'll probably make the tournament, but they are nothing to write home about. They are not an ACC contender in my mind. On the opposite side, I think Carolina is probably even better than most people are giving them credit for. And I do want to talk about them. And I do want to go ahead and give credit to one guy in specific, and that's Hubert Davis. And look, obviously, Carolina, big brand. We talk a lot about this team and program and Hubert Davis going uh, on this show. And really, it's 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 he's a guy that, that we've really had a lot of ebbs and flows with, even though this is only his third year as a head coach. Early on, he inherits a really good team, struggles out of the gate. I said, look, it's never going to be better than it is right now. You have to win with the guys that were left over from Roy Williams. Then he makes that run that first year. And frankly, I thought he probably didn't get enough credit for that run uh, as they go to a, a Final Four National Championship game in 2022. They beat Duke twice along the way, and they were a really good team for the final two months of the season. Thought he didn't get enough credit. Then last year was a complete debacle, and we all know what Torres' stance was coming out of last year. It was obvious to me that while it was never said publicly, it seemed pretty clear that the narrative was, let's just blame everything on Caleb Love. And I'm not here to, to to pick sides in this. I think it worked out well for both sides. Caleb Love is thriving in Arizona. But at the same time, like what stood out to me about that whole situation was, okay, Hubert, Caleb Love is gone. RJ Davis is back. Armando Baycott is back. Now it's time for you to prove like that your style, your system, what you want to do is going to work because you got all your guys. You kind of flushed out a lot of the guys that were kind of back end of the bench guys. You bring in six, seven guys through the portal. You bring in a couple high school players. It is time to prove. Well, fast forward and look at Carolina now. Like like I said, I don't think people realize how good Carolina is at this moment in time in the season. They're 11-3 and overall. They're 3-0 in the ACC. And more than that, a couple really nice wins. Obviously, a dominant home win against Tennessee. A neutral court win against a very good Oklahoma team. You beat Arkansas in the Bahamas, you, you, you know, you, and, and, and more than that, look at the losses. Kentucky on a neutral, UConn on a neutral, Villanova when they were at full strength and playing their best basketball on a neutral. So no bad losses, no home losses, a bunch of good wins, 3-0 and in the ACC. And I just got to give this guy credit where it's due. And I think more than that, I think this is the first year that you really feel like his fingerprints, as I just said, are on the program. Again, you go back, takes over for Roy Williams, inherits a lot of his players, built to play the way that Roy Williams wanted to play. We've talked about it a million times, but we all know when Roy Williams was there, what did he want? 
He wanted two big guys, feed the post, blah, 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 blah. A lot of Kentucky fans listening know exactly what I'm talking about because that's how Calipari played up until the last year or so. But Hubert Davis came in, said, I want spacing, I want ball movement, I want three-point shooting, I want a four-man that can pick and pop, can hit threes. And that's what we see from this team right now. They're scoring a bunch, fast in transition, good on the boards, about 36% from the three-point line. I'm here to tell you this Carolina team is here to stay. Now, I will say, schedule does not get easier. Kind of wild. They open with three straight ACC road games. Like, who the heck was putting together the ACC schedule? Three straight road games for Carolina to open the year. They already won at Pitt, win at Clemson. They do play at NC State on Wednesday night, so that'll be a big one. Then they get home versus Q's, home versus Louisville, at Boston College and Wake Forest. But I sit there and say, you look at the ACC right now, and I think Carolina's in position to win this thing. Duke was my preseason pick to win the Natty. I don't love them, don't love their personnel. They barely survive against a bad Notre Dame team. Um, you know, Wake, I do think, is much improved. Zach Kroll and I talked about them in the preseason. Um, Hughes is improved, but they, they're not Syracuse the way that we know them as. NC State, we'll see. You go on and on down the list. Miami's a little bit more down than we thought. Clemson just lost to Carolina. I think Carolina's the best team in the ACC. Credit to Hubert Davis. Very nice win on Saturday. Let's keep it going. A couple other results that are worth noting. Listen, I'll just spend five minutes, three minutes, whatever it is, talking about the, the situation at Kansas. It was a debacle. Kansas was on the right side of another refereeing controversy at Allen Fieldhouse. Surprise, surprise. I know we have some Kansas fans that listen to this show. I'm sorry. But listen, we all know what the truth is. The truth is that Kansas always seems to end up on the right side of these refereeing situations. So for people who missed it, Saturday afternoon, Fog Allen Fieldhouse, place that Torres went. Oh, my goodness. I love Fog. Uh, unbelievable place to watch a game. But Kansas was playing TCU. TCU, remember, won last year at Fog Allen. And we're kind of in control of this game. Under a minute to go. TCU is up by two. And there is a controversial play under the basket where their big man, Ernest Uday, was called for a flagrant one. You know, him and Hunter Dickinson are going for the ball. If you're watching on YouTube, elbows are flailing. Hunter Dickinson gets hit with an elbow. He goes down. You know, a little bit of an acting job there. I won't comment on, uh, you know, I won't comment too much on the acting. But I just bring it up because um, they, they do call a flagrant one. And listen, I, I don't know that I've yet seen anybody make the firm defense that this was the right call. Like, that's the crazy part. I haven't seen anybody make the art. Even Kansas beat writers were sitting there saying, I need to see a replay based on what I saw. We know what ends up happening. Kansas makes two free throws to tie the game. They get the ball back because it's 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 two free throws plus possession. So Kansas gets the ball back. They make, they make a shot after they tie the game. They end up winning by two. And it's just a total debacle. You know, it's a total debacle. TCU probably should have won that game. Jamie Dixon, the head coach, was furious with the refs. And he has every right to be, man. It, it, it was a frustrating situation. I don't know what else to say. There is no, in my opinion, other take to have other than that. Like, it, it's frustrating, right? It's disappointing. It's angering. But it is what it is. TCU had a loss stolen from them. Kansas, like I said, it seems like they're always on the right side of these things. Indiana, it was controversial late. They ended up getting the win. Uh, there's been other ones through the years, but Kansas survives. They beat TCU. As far as Kansas is concerned, you know, I, I, I've said it. I've said it since Champions Classic. I like them. I don't love them. I don't love them. 
Right now, they don't have very much depth. Right now, they rely on Hunter Dickinson, McCuller, and Dewan Harris have to be great every night. If you want to include KJ Adams, they just don't have a bench right now. Kid Nick Timberlake, who was supposed to, uh, was down to UConn in Kansas, so I obviously followed his recruitment closely. He is not playing very well. Uh, Furphy, the freshman from Australia, he there's just not that much there right now. I trust Bill Self to figure it out, but Kansas, another game where they get lucky to win. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Kansas survives. Couple results from the Big East I want to get to. How about my boy? Big Rick Energy, Rick Patino, and St. John's. Listen, there's nothing else to say. We knew this was going to happen. He is one of the great coaches in the history of the sport. Maybe the greatest coach ever. The conversation always happens. If he never leaves Kentucky, we are probably talking about that guy in the same way that we're talking about Coach K, if not more. That great, that dominant, that great of a coach. Well, why do I bring it up? They go to Villanova on Saturday. Villanova's playing really good ball. And keep in mind, on Tuesday of last week, they played Butler at home and destroyed Butler. Well, they go to Villanova. I think they're up like 20 to 6 at some point and run away with the victory. Only thing that stands out, this is the Patino effect. Took about two, two and a half months, and they're there. They might Listen, I'll say this. Marquette's struggling right now. St. John's could have beaten UConn in Hartford before Christmas, watched every minute of that game. Tell me why they're not the second or third best team in the Big East right now. Marquette's struggling. I don't believe in Creighton. Providence just lost Bryce Hopkins. They just beat Villanova. They might be the second best team in this league. And what's so cool about this is it feels sustainable as long as Patino is there. I was talking to the kid who runs our uh, our Torres on SJU page. If you're a St. John's fan and you're not following Torres on SJU, Torres on St. John's, make sure to do so. And he said, I've been a lifelong St. John's fan, man. Shout out Drew, who does a great job with that page, by the way. He said, I'm a lifelong St. John's fan. And he's like, it's never felt like this before. It's never, we've gone on winning streaks. We've gone on losing streaks, but it's never felt sustainable. We've pulled off upsets, but it never felt sustainable. This feels sustainable. You go into Villanova and destroy Villanova. Credit to St. John's for the victory. Speaking of the Big East, credit to my UConn Huskies. Took care of business at Butler. On Friday night, Cam Spencer, a couple really big plays down the stretch. Um, You know, really, listen, UConn, the only real criticism you can have of UConn over the last couple years, they have struggled on the road in the Big East. Butler's probably an NCAA tournament-ish type team. And so to get that win, listen, you you take them how you can get them. This team needs some confidence on the road. Still no Donovan Klingon, so they get the W there. Purdue beats Illinois at home. That one got a little too close for comfort for Purdue fans. Listen, everybody knows Torres loves Purdue, okay? But Zach Eady was in foul trouble. And a funny thing happened. You're playing an Illinois team without their All-American Terrence Shannon. We know he's under investigation for a very serious crime. Google it if you don't know. Illinois is really good. Illinois deserves credit. Coleman Hawkins, uh, uh, Damashek, I always trip over his name. They got a really good team. 
But if you're at home, that's a game you're supposed to dominate. What ends up happening? Zach Eady gets in foul trouble. The game is called fairly. And a funny thing happens. It's close into the final minutes. So credit for Purdue for getting the win. It still goes to what I have said over and over. When games are called fairly, when games are called evenly, and Zach Eady's in foul trouble, he's going to be, can those other guys step up? They barely survive on thir- on Friday night. Uh, a couple other results. We'll get out of here. One, uh, UCLA is a mess right now. UCLA, has, has anyone been paying attention to what's going on with UCLA? So Mick Cronin, um, he's losing it. I, I don't know what else there is to say. Nice guy, like Coach Cronin a lot, but, you know, they're 6-9 and nine right now. They just got swept by Stanford and Cal at home. And it's just, it's really bad. You know, o- over the course of the season, he's kind of ranted and raved in all of his press conferences. He did the NIL rant, which we talked about on this show few days ago, Sebastian Mack, who has been one of their better players, he basically said, if it was up to me, he wouldn't be playing at all, but we don't have any better options. Well, on Saturday night, they lose to Cal. He doesn't even go to the podium. Rod Palmer, the, the assistant coach, goes to the podium. He says, Coach Cronin is addressing the team. It might be a while, so he sent me out here to do this because he didn't want to keep you guys and girls in the media waiting. But this is really bad at UCLA. Um, you know, why is it? Listen, they're super young. Remember, he inherited a lot of players from Steve Alford. Um, you know, Steve Alford was there a long time ago, but Jaime Hawkins committed to Steve Alford. Tiger Campbell committed to and played for Steve Alford. These are guys who were all in the program through last season, through the first four years of Mick Cronin's era. Well, now he has a super young team. He brought in all those international guys. And let's be honest, you know, I think everyone said, oh, you know, the internet, what, what is this about? One, I, I I think Mick Cronin's having a little trouble recruiting the, the the U.S. kids. He's a tough coach to play for. A lot of guys don't want to play for him. But then two, it's easy to forget. A lot of those international kids did not get to the United States until like September. UCLA is on the quarter system. So a lot of those kids didn't arrive in the U.S. until September. And so it's taking time. UCLA struggling. They're now six and nine. Bottom of the uh, Pac-12 standings. They are... Just not very good. Uh, And that team, obviously, um, might be the last time we talk about UCLA for a while. One last result that I do got to get to uh, for a couple reasons. It's Auburn, Arkansas. We got to talk a little bit about it because producer Matt, the producer of this show, is an Auburn grad. So he he might cut my mic if, uh, if we don't at least reference Auburn's win. But also, listen, I'm the big pig invasion guy. So every time that something goes wrong with Arkansas, I hear it, I get criticized, I whatever. And I can honestly say I I don't think that I ever saw what was coming on Saturday as Arkansas loses at home to Auburn. This was the worst loss in Bud Walton Arena history. And I'm obviously a guy that just went to my first game at Bud Walton a few weeks ago. 83-51, to a home loss for Arkansas. And I've had a lot of people ask me, a lot of people tweet me. I figured it was at least worth addressing. Is Arkansas, what is wrong with Arkansas? And are they going to get fixed this year? So let's dive in. First off, let me say this. Like, credit to Auburn. Like, Auburn's a really good team. And and that's something I don't want to be lost in all of this. Auburn is a very good basketball team, okay? Uh, They're 12-2 and this year. Their only loss is they lost to Baylor on the second night of the season. And then they played a weird road game at Appalachian State. Um, And those are the only two losses. They destroyed Indiana on a neutral. 
They destroyed USC at home. They just finally got into the top 25. It's crazy. Like, I remember watching them against USC and saying, how are they not in the top 25? They play about 10 or 11 guys. They can all score, you know, size, length, athleticism. Janai Broom down low. Uh, Aiden Holloway, a point guard, is really good. Denver Jones on the way. They have a lot of really good players. And by the way, a lot of older players. Uh, you know, Dylan Cardwell forward has been there forever. Katie Johnson has been there forever. Those are guys that were part of SEC championship teams two years ago when they had Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith. Still, though, as good as Auburn is, the story is Arkansas. And there's really nothing to say about Arkansas um, that isn't really obvious other than that, like, by now, I think we all thought this thing would get figured out. Instead, Arkansas is now 9-5. and They took a bad loss early in the year to UNC Greensboro. And then really outside of the home win at Duke, a home win against Duke, excuse me, they really don't have much of a resume to speak of. You know, I I, I joked about it on Twitter. I said, Arkansas hasn't been the same since Torres left town because I, I go there, they take care of Duke. It's a great victory. And then it has all been downhill since then. And so everybody wants to know what's wrong, what's going on, what's this, what's that. It's tough to really diagnose. And, and listen, I, I'm not speaking out of school here. Coach Musk talked about it after the game. He said, look, w- w- he basically listed like eight different things. He's like, we don't rebound. We don't defend. We don't defend the three. We don't block shots. We don't score. We don't pass. We don't like, he just listed about nine things. He's like, we would get F's in all of them. And I, I think the exact quote was, I could go around to each of you and you could tell me what our biggest problem is right now. And each one of you in the media would have a different answer and you'd all be right. So obviously there's some frustration in the program. I think a couple things stand out to me. One, um, you know, I think they're trying to, first of all, there's something, there's some, it it appears as though, let let me, let me start by saying this. I, I, I think the biggest issue is they're still trying to figure out rotations. And I know everybody's sort of still figuring it out this time of year, but Arkansas, listen, a lot like last year, there's good luck and there's bad luck. Last year, there was just bad luck. Trevin Brazil gets hurt. Um, you finally start figuring it out without Nick Smith. Then he comes back. Then you're trying to figure it out with Nick Smith. And it just never really clicked. This year, I think they're starting to figure it out. Then Keon Menafield gets eligible. Keon Menafield drops 30 a, f- a week ago. So you want to feature him. And so I do think there's still kind of that figuring it out phase. You know, you play, Tremont Mark has been in and out of the lineup. Trevin Brazil was banged up, but he played. So I I still think you you look at this roster, who fits, who plays well together, who doesn't, who this, who that. But the other thing that stands out, just the lack of effort defensively. And this is something, you know, again, I've been watching Coach Must teams for years. And I said this in the Greensboro game. I said, you know, Coach Must is going to make these guys play defense or they're not going to play. And it just, for whatever reason, it has not clicked. It has not worked. I don't have the answers, but the, the stats are kind of jarring, right? Look at this defense right now, 140th nationally in field goal percentage defense, 220th nationally in three-point percentage defense. I mean, 220th nationally is not going to get the job done. And so when I look at this team, that's what stands out is one trying to figure out offensively. Listen, offense is a rhythm and flow thing. I'm not an X's and O's guy. I don't claim to be an expert, whatever. But you have to figure out what pieces fit together, which don't, what's this, what that, whatever. But two, defense is just an effort thing. And right now, I don't don't think the effort is there. 
And I don't think it's out of school to say that because Coach Muss addressed it at the podium on Saturday night. And so it's frustrating. It's disappointing. This was a team. Listen, I had them in the preseason top 10. Um, I know many people, you know, I saw Trilly Donovan, that that infamous Twitter account, had them in the Final Four in the preseason. You know, I liked them. I didn't pick them to go to the Final Four, but I, I just can't believe it. I think the only saving grace, and I know it's not what an Arkansas fan wants to hear right now, Coach Musk generally figures it out. It's going to take some time. He's going to settle on his seven, eight guys, um, and we'll figure out who they are. I'm not here to say who's right and who's wrong and who fits and who doesn't. I think he will figure that out eventually. But it is frustrating right now. And again, this year is a little bit different than even last year, right? Last year, a lot of people said, oh, you know, they finished whatever it was, eighth in the SEC. It's like, yeah, but they had injuries all year. This year, Mark's out, then he's back. Menafield gets eligible. But it's an interesting scenario. Good thing for Arkansas, the schedule really isn't brutal. By the way, maybe, maybe Auburn's just a little bit better than we thought. But this league is unforgiving, man. This league is tough. Like, like again, you watch Florida the other day against Kentucky. That's a good team. You watch, uh, you know, Vandy gave uh, Alabama fits. Ole Miss was ranked up until this this week. So there's a lot of good teams in this league. You got to get it right. Good news is you got at Florida. That's a winnable game. Or at Georgia, excuse me, a winnable game. Then at Florida, that'll be a tough one. Texas A&M at home. Texas A&M does not look very good right now. So you kind of hit a little bit of a soft spot in the schedule. Uh, late in the year, you do have Tennessee. You do have two. Uh, you have do have Tennessee. You do have Bama. Uh, you do have two games with Kentucky starting the last week of January. So still a little bit of time to figure it out. But there's no doubt that it's at least a little bit disappointing. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aerator Sports Podcast. I have rambled long enough. If you're not subscribed to the show, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Pod on TikTok, and the YouTube channel as well. We'll be back tomorrow, Tuesday, and we'll have a national champion at that point. How about that? Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Unblock me, bro. I'll be back on Tuesday tomorrow. New episode of the Aaron Torres Pod, where we will talk national championship game, baby. Have a good night. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.